What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Ruthless. This is episode two of this season. Episode, I'm going to take a guess at 11 overall. Do we have any other guesses as to what this is for us? I think we'll be on like 12 or 13. We should have looked that up ahead of time. We should have, but but I'm guessing that one of our three guesses is probably correct. We're going to go with a baker's dozen, I guess. Okay, that sounds good. Yeah, this episode is exciting for us because last week, or last episode rather, we talked about To Ruth's and Alive, but we didn't actually get to share them with you. So we're going to be catching up on that. Yeah, of course. Um, So look forward to that later in the show. But first, we're going to be talking about a couple fun things. Banned books. I know Ruth's got some things to say about banned banned books. books. And Fear. Uh, which I'm actually quite excited to talk about. I think <laughs> I think I'm an expert in fear. Um, maybe not learning about fear, but certainly experiencing You're it. You're fearful, so though. I am yeah. a fearful person. Yeah. You're frightening, actually. <laughs> so we got a lot to talk about. Let's get started with banned books. Ruth. So this is banned books week, and I was thinking about the timing of this. And of course, it's at the beginning of the school year, which is appropriate to think about actually reading books. And and I think it's uh, fun to think about what would be some reasons for books having been banned and also think about what our favorite books are and it turns out at least from Seth's point of view that most of his favorite books have been banned books which yeah. may say something about you Seth I and guess. your taste I guess so I, you wanted to say what are some of your favorite banned books I mean I'm looking at this list you compiled I made a list of course because <laughs> that's what I do with these there's books. I don't know 20-ish you'd say oh oh uh, and there are more here on this yeah <laughs> there's, there's 20-ish or so <laughs> books on here and I like all of my favorite books I've read are on this list a Fahrenheit 451, love it. One of the classics. Lord of the Flies, that's like my favorite book growing up. Animal Farm, totally understand satire because of that. Thank you. 1984, <laughs> something I still reference on a regular basis. Uh, Catch 22, one of the funniest things you'll ever read in your entire lives. Like these books are amazing. And I remember the first time I taught Catcher in the Rye, it was sort of ironic because when I was in high school, my English teacher, Mr. Church, used Catcher in the Rye, and there was a protest by parents. And so he offered to teach the book at night to parents, mm. and they actually came, wow. and he taught the book and persuaded them that it was really a perfect book to use for ninth graders, which was the, my case. But then it was so ironic that later on, many, many years later, when I myself am teaching English in high school, and I am asked not to use that book. And so I had to defend it, although I didn't go as far as Mr. Church did, which is to say, invite the parents in. But it was just shocking to me. But it was just interesting in my high school career to think about all the books that parents tried to stop us from teaching. Among them, a really scary band book was the Bible. So you just never know what what people are going to find disturbing, and especially in the hands of a high school teacher like myself. Charlotte's Web, banned (laughs) book. Come on, people. It's pretty Uh, naughty. Lord of the Rings. Whoa, really risky and dangerous. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. My dad's a minister, and he loves Harry Potter. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I guess my favorite of the banned books would be Harry Potter. But um, you speaking of Catcher in the Rye, one one of my ultimate favorite books is Perks of Being a Wallflower. I used to teach it in my freshman seminar, and I know that that's one that has been considered a banned book, too. Very Catcher in the Rye-esque, yeah. sort of a modern take on it, though. Yeah, but it's really astonishing to look at the list of these books, and uh, I mean, Hemingway makes a, uh, makes a lot of the list here. Steinbeck, 
of of mice and men makes mm-hmm. the list. It just mm-hmm. it's just kind of staggering to see what all the books are, and it'd just be interesting to sort of look through and see what the threads are that that frightened people about these books and what kinds of investigations the authors are making that people don't want investigated. And uh, I mean, some of them I understand, but you're right. Some of them make little to no sense. Yeah, I just think what what could they possibly have objected to in that book? Now, Catcher in the Rye, I remember distinctly. One of the major issues that was a word that was yeah. written on the wall <laughs> yeah. uh, that was uh, troubling that we will not say on the air even to this day because we cannot. Uh, but it was banned a, podcasts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> banned podcasts. Of, we don't have the explicit E rating. No, we do not. So, uh, but but what was interesting about that in the book is that Holden is trying to prevent his little sister Phoebe from seeing that word. So it actually makes the case that the parents wanted to have made in a really beautiful way, in a convincing and compelling way, that there are just things you you wish your little sister wouldn't have to know about too soon and to protect them from that. And I, I've always thought that was so such a such a sorry note that people didn't understand what, what really the thrust of that whole scene was in that book. It's just that they hear that it exists and that makes them yeah. freak yeah. out. Instead, instead of reading the book, and this is always the problem with people taking things out of context, mm-hmm. and it's so easy to take things out of context and... and sound like you're being blasphemous or doing some damage. And and I think that's one of the things that's so troubling right now in general is taking things out of context, taking comments out of context. And it's something that, that people need to be wary of. And maybe that should be banned, taking things out of context, frankly. Yeah, it's also a matter of not wanting to challenge their own assumptions. So they hear that something is being talked about in these books and they have this central belief that that is wrong but instead of taking the time to critically think about it analyze it from different perspectives which can be scary to people to do because then it might it might result in them changing a belief system that they have um people don't want to do that so instead they just cling to what it is that they think is the case and they fight ruthlessly using the podcast title that's that great moment they fight fight ruthlessly from from lack of a better term a place of ignorance I was just reading uh, a hilarious book by Alexander McCall Smith, um, and in it, the main character, whose name is Maria Moritz von Eisenberg, I've got that close, not exactly right, uh, he is decrying Hemingway, and he says, it's just, he's a terrible author. I would never want to read him. Meaning, yeah. you didn't you read didn't him. You didn't read him, and yeah. yet you're saying that he's a terrible you author. You yeah. he's terrible. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty hilarious, but also not that unusual of people no. arguing against things about which they know absolutely nothing. Exactly. So one thing that I wanted to ask you about, and I, I think I'm kind of making this a leading question a little bit, but I I wonder, do you think that the reason that these books are banned are because of the fear that, you know, parents have of the actual content or itself or the impact that it has on children? One of the things I do think is true is that there are times to read books and times not to read books. I think actually most people are fairly protected from reading books when they're too young because they don't get most of what goes on in them, frankly. I mean, I wouldn't have gotten a lot of understanding about some of these books if I had read them when I was little just because we don't have the vocabulary we don't know what they're talking about just goes right past us it's kind of like going to this is really stupid comparison watch me uh watch me go but it's sort of like watching um Teenage Mutant Ninjas you you, when you're a kid you don't get half the jokes when you're grown up you get the other half of the jokes in that in that movie and that's so often true is that you you miss out a lot just because you don't have the context for it so Mm -hmm. I think that's so I'm not opposed to the idea that there are things that I would rather not have my my five-year-old great-nephew read. I, th- I think some things are just probably inappropriate at a certain age, but to, to ban it in general just worries me, and you don't know why they're banning it. Fahrenheit 451, 
what's, you know, it's hard for me to even think of anything objectionable in that book. In fact, it's hard for me to think of anything that we wouldn't want to study in that book, not the least of which in that particular book is the question about um, after all the books are burned, each person, as you recall, those of you who love this book, you had to, you had, you were responsible for memorizing a book Mm -hmm. so that it wouldn't be lost to history. And I think about this a lot about books that uh, need never to be neglected, that need always to be continued and perpetuated, and people must hear about these things. And I've I've brooded myself over the years of thinking about what would that book be mm-hmm. that I would want to memorize, that I would want never to have left a shelf in someone's room where they could just pick it up at night and read it before they go to bed. Mm-hmm. And after much brooding, have you had a conclusion? No, I haven't. I'm still thinking about it. It just troubles me a lot. I just can't narrow it down to one book. Maybe Fahrenheit 451. Yeah, you know, there's a thought. Probably wouldn't be that one, but but just thinking about what meta. that would be. Yeah, it's very meta. <laughs> yeah. I think part of it for me as a parent is wanting to make sure that I'm giving her the space that she needs to discover these things and read these things. And I definitely don't want to censor her entirely, but I think it's a level, as you said when they're cognitively capable. So, um, for example, one of my best friends has a daughter who's older than Lillian, she's eight, and um, they started reading the Harry Potter books. So when Avalyn was able to read, one of the ways that they rewarded her being able to read was to start the Harry Potter books. And there were chapter books, it took her a very long time, but then as she got better at reading over the years, she was going through the books faster. And she got to book four Mm -hmm. when she was only maybe six, and in book four is when the first death of a character occurs. And Spoilers for Harry Potter. I know. Yeah. I won't say which going, right? I think it's, it's safe. A, a certain but, Hufflepuff. You know, Keep and, away but, from Charlotte's like, Web, too. Kat didn't want to stop her, right, because reading the books, and then after she read the book, she got to watch the movie. But she outpaced sort of the sophistication of the books and got to a place where probably she shouldn't have gotten to it necessarily at six years old so Kat you know dealt with it really wonderfully and and explained to Avalyn Um, but then they decided you know she decided let's wait a little bit longer before you start reading the next books and she found a different series that they could read together but I think it's a matter of giving them enough information that they can process so that they're not completely sheltered but then recognizing when it comes to a time um, that they might be ready to like go on to the next step (laughs) she looked at me this is a spoiler, but I went. I was talking to Avalyn after each of the books because I love all the Harry Potters and can't wait to read them with Lillian. And I called her the one day. I was like, "What's happening in in book four? Like, what's happening?" She goes, "Cedric died." <laughs> well, there like, is a kind of matter oh, of factness about yeah. this, this yeah. which in a way is really good because it's not as if children are going to be protected from experiences like that. Yeah, yeah. they're just not because this is the human condition. I think what happened afterwards that really freaked Cat out was you know Cedric died and they kind of talked about what that meant and then Avalyn started asking questions about death and it was well is nope grandma gonna die is are you gonna die like started asking questions and cat was like okay i can't i'm not ready for this (laughs) in other words cat wasn't ready for it although avalon was was on the money she called me and said cedric died i was like oh okay we got there all right cool 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 (laughs) but that fear fear of the parents is an important thing to bring up i think because there is this this growing movement just not just with books and media but just in general of the fear of what's going to happen to children and and especially in the last couple of years and I think it's only getting worse. It's like you want to educate them but you also don't want to push them into 
growing up quote unquote too fast yeah. like there's a balance it's a and it's hard as a parent to negotiate that balance i mean my kids too i haven't really had to really go there but even just john my husband loves star wars right loves star wars lillian has tons of star wars clothes she has ray which i think is what she's gonna be for halloween she mm. has this big yoda like she loves star wars too because john loves star wars and it's something that they share together i don't like when he lets her watch it because of the violence like i don't want my two and a half year old watching people sword fight you know so like there's a limit like i want her to be able to enjoy the essence of what star wars is and the characters but i don't want her exposed to that so that you know she sort of learns observationally that she should be smacking things with sticks Mm-hmm. So it's a balance. But there, there is, I think I mentioned this on an earlier show, but Rebecca Solnit's book, A Field Guide to Getting Lost, which I love that title, uh, probably should be banned, but, it's, mm-hmm. uh, but she talks about what this generation is going to be like who've been raised under house arrest. And so it's sort of intellectual house arrest, but it's also literally, you know, play dates and monitors. And I know when I was a kid, you know, it'd be like, Come home for supper, kids. Phone tracking is a thing. Phone a tracking, thing where well, you I will totally track Lillian. Yeah, where you, I know you where will. You, yeah, you know you will. Um, <laughs> track John's but I mean, I I loved the fact that when I was little, I mean, I'm I remember saying to my mother, I can't believe you that you would let us roam around New York when we were like ten years old by ourselves. And my mother said, wasn't my idea, it was your father's. But uh, but. <laughs> Trid. Yeah, it's exactly good old Trid. But but just the idea of, of all this sheltering and of, you know, parents uh, being so involved in, in kids' lives. And I just think that's a kind of interesting possible proto-censorship already is mm-hmm. that, that there's so much. I mean, maybe it's wonderful. Maybe it's not. I'm, it's probably good that I'm not a parent. Bad enough that I have honor students that I know. But uh, – <laughs> Just to wonder how what my own limits would be. I wonder that myself. How much I could, you know, when my little the little kids in my life come around, I was like, oh, I don't want to take care of them because I don't. I'm too afraid. I'm yeah. too afraid of them. Yeah. Do we have any Black Mirror watchers in here? Oh yeah. Oh, that's, I, I, I watched it once with my nephew. I was too afraid to watch it alone. I can't watch it. I've, I've, been, on the, I've been on the hop since go. Yeah. Too distressed. Yeah. yeah. So do you know what I'm about the, to say? I know the episode. Is this going to be about. a spoiler alert? No. No. Oh, okay. Archangel. Uh, Archangel from season four of Black Mirror. I think, I mean, it's obvious. It gets to the heart of this. If you've it seen does. the episode. It, we just talked about it in Tweens and Teens. Yeah, oh. it gets to the heart of what we just talked about in the course of 50 minutes better than anything else that I've seen address this same issue. Well, at least if you're looking for um, a perspective that's not very bright. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if you don't want a happy, shiny ending of everything's going to be fine. Um, if you want but, a real anti-stance on yeah. the uh, tracking your kids. Oh. Yeah. Black Mirror is not a fan of <laughs> parents uh, being helicopters over their children. Yeah. I was going well, to use the term helicopter parents, and yeah. that's like what, you know, and Ruth always I think says, it's more like embedded parents. Exactly. Ruth yeah. says it's not, the parents have landed, basically. Yeah. It's yeah. not just helicopter anymore. They've embedded. Wow. Honestly, perfect. I was just, I was <laughs> just, yeah, I, no, that's exactly. Then, uh, I was just reading an article in the New York Times about, in China, about parents who now set up tents on campus so that they can be there handling. Oh, my God. Yeah, this is just because mm-hmm. when they, they deliver their, especially their only children, they want to be there, so they have tents, and they can just be on hand so that they're right there. That's crazy. <laughs> parents, we love say, you, but go away. Oh, yeah, don't do man. it. Well, there's Welcome been, to Temple now. Go yeah. away. Yeah. There has now been research that has linked helicopter parenting styles to depression in children. I wouldn't be surprised. 
because they don't learn how to handle failure. And without failure experiences until they're older, something happens to them, they don't know how to cope because they've never had to cope on their own their whole life. Yeah. I think that this is a good chance to kind of switch our conversation topic to this fear in general. And that's something that we wanted to talk about. Um, Ruth, you mentioned that in your first year seminar, you're teaching freshmen, all of the advisors and you have. Yeah, we have 18 sections of this. Yeah. Yeah. And so we kind of go through and it's like an intro to college. Um, you said that you've noticed a lot of this fear of transition. Can you talk more yeah, about the, that? Yeah, well, the, also the, what's been striking me is I saw the movie uh, Eighth Grade, and I'm just thinking, I'm mm-hmm. sort of reading about this in these papers, and these students are all immensely successful, and yet they're, so many of them are talking about shedding their high school persona and wanting to be authentic in college and that they don't want to bring along those fears of who they were or who they weren't in high school to college and trying to make this transition. And I was uh, t- I was actually talking about this to Seth this morning. There's a, a book called The Art of Travel by Alain de Botton. And he's talking in the beginning of the book about how, how he and his, the woman in his life are so excited they're gonna go on a trip and they have booked reservations and they land in this absolutely, this paradise and their room is right on the water and it's fabulous. And they immediately have a fight. And he says, we forgot uh, when we packed, we forgot to leave ourselves at home. Mm. And I just thought that was interesting about what we bring with us and what we don't bring us, the fears we bring and the fears we 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 need to shed uh, when we when we come to college and how. Uh, but I've been so so puzzled by some of these reactions about these shedding the persona. And how do you do that? How do you remember what to leave at home and then bring something else new with you? How do you make that kind of transition? I think, not to challenge that, but there are some students that try to leave things about who they were at home and expect them not to come back and haunt them. And I think it's some things you can't you can't shed. You just can't. Right. Well, I think leave. that was his point. We forgot to leave them at home. Yeah. But, but that they but they went along anyway. Yeah. 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 Um, we were just talking about fear in my psych class on Monday. Um, because we're talking about learning and not necessarily learning in the way that you guys study for a test and you learn material. It's more so learning behaviors. And in classical psychological experiments, you know, probably the most famous is Pavlov and his dog, right? And you can classical classically condition someone to have elicit some sort of a response. But another form of classical conditioning um, is exemplified by um, Watson, John Watson, and his studies with little Albert, right? The baby who he was able to condition to fear white fuzzy things um so every time he presented him with a white rabbit he made a huge noise which is a you know something that is a natural fear that you're gonna have a natural fear response to a huge noise little albert decides then he's afraid of white rabbits but it's sort of built and was afraid of all white fuzzy things including the researcher in a santa claus costume and we spent a lot of time talking about how fear is conditioned and how our emotional responses to things are something that we have learned over time. And often we're not even consciously aware of it. And it just so happens to be the case. And one of the groups in class, we were talking about associations and she was like, well, a natural response to getting homework is stress. And I said, you learned to associate stress with getting homework. Like that's not, that's not an automatic response, right? That's something that over time through your educational experiences, you've learned to associate stress with homework. So, you know, we started talking about the things that we have learned to fear. And oftentimes the things that we have learned to fear are what we have risk of losing, right? So losing sense of self, 
losing our identities, losing the things that we care most about, whether it be relationships, material items, safety, you know, and when there is any sort of sense of threat, when you f are fearful, and it doesn't just have to be fear for like bodily harm, right? It can just be things that you're anxious over. You cling, a lot of people cling very heavily, very closely to those things and won't let them go. And that's why they're afraid to take risks. And that's why they're afraid to put themselves out there because they think if, the, if I take this risk, if I put myself out there, I, there's a fear that I will lose something else. And so they don't take that risk and they don't put themselves out there and they don't, they don't, they're immobile. They don't want to move because of this paralyzing fear. Um, and so we talked a lot about school and learning about grades and how important they are. And they think if they take a hard class and they don't get an A, they're not going to go to medical school, right? So all of these things. But, you know, Ruth is always really encouraging of telling students, do it even though you're afraid. Um, because you'll never really know who you are until you are able to sort of take that chance and take that risk. And it's scary in itself, but you can't fear losing everything. I think that I find when I'm talking to students and they're afraid of doing X, Y, or Z, and you actually talk to them and ask them like what they're actually afraid of, it's like, oh, well, I won't get it. And I'm like, well, you'll never know if you're going to get it right. if you don't try it or anything like that. And that kind of fear pops up, I mean, constantly, I, all the time. In the last two weeks, it's happened over a handful of times mm -hmm. in my eight or 10 advising appointments. And yeah, I mean, it's e I guess it's easy for us to say that kind of thing because we're not the one taking the risk, but also we've had the experience where we maybe had to do that risk and we were able to come out on the other side. Even if we didn't succeed in that first thing we did, we found something else that worked and you'll find your path. Well, I'll give an example of, because uh, I think it's important for us to experiment with fear also and to, to do this so that we can be authentic. That's why when I say to students, look, you can live in poverty if that's what you want to do because I did that. I experimented <laughs> by leaving a very nice job and with a decent salary and going to grad school when I was old and making $5,800 a year, which was brutal. <laughs> um, I used to buy socks as a surprise present for myself. You know, we ourselves feel like we have to take some chances on these things. I mean, not, not dangerous things or cruel things, but just where we find out whether, where our metal is and whether we really, whether we can say these things to students because of personal conviction and personal experience. And I think that that's one of the reasons we've hired the staff that we have because everybody on the honor staff are people who are willing to, to test their own identities. Let's move on. All right. And let's get to your two Ruths in a line. Oh, dear. Uh, some of these. I'm intrigued by this shakeup of the lineup. Yeah. This is kind of like throws That's us off. That's why I got nervous that we I were know, cutting the segments. Like, Whoa, because now, yeah. All right. Uh, so um, this is about, I thought about censorship and banning things. So they're, they're, these are a medley of things. They're not necessarily connected. All right. Uh, but I remember um, my nephew, Jared, uh, was probably nine or so, maybe 10. And I took, for whatever reason, was in charge of taking him to the movie. So I took him to see History of the World Part One. Now, those of you who've seen that movie know there's some things in there, perhaps in the banned book movie list. Um, can you give us a little, can you give folks who are listening a little insight into oh, what History of the World Part One well, is? Well, let me just say there's a big sequence about eunuchs. 
uh, among Shred other the World things. Part oh, One is not a documentary. No, it's not a documentary. It's a Mel Brooks it's, it's, comedy. It's a film. Mel Brooks comedy. And I thought it'd be anything about Mel Brooks. Yeah, it's there Mel Brooks. And I thought it'd be really funny and and fun. And so I took Jared. And it is. For some reason, my sister and brother-in-law didn't stop me from this. I guess they were just you know, like he was in my custody. So we go to the movies, and I start to see what the things in there, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this is terrible. So I keep sending him out to get candy <laughs> constantly. We had a lot of candy. We had a lot of popcorn. I kept sending him out, and it didn't occur to me that it was dangerous to send him into the lobby by himself Alone, to yeah. get candy <laughs> by himself. It's like, get a grip, Ruth. So there's that. Uh, now, this is also about uh, a movie story. The other two are also, these are all related to movies. So the second one is something I'm still really annoyed about, and that is uh, there's a movie called Welcome Back, Krista that won a big prize at Sundance. And I am in this movie. What? I am in the movie at the beginning of the movie, and there are no credits with my name on the credits. And I just think that is so wrong. You know, we've learned a footnote. We've learned to make bibliographies. Mm -hmm. We know about acknowledgments, but am I in this? No, I am not. So thank you very much. Welcome back, Krista. Despite the fact that you're part of the Screen Actors Guild. Yes, exactly. Of course I am part of the Screen Actors Guild. Um, so, And then the third one is this, and this is going to come as a little bit of a surprise, but uh, Seth was recently shocked that I knew when Creed II was going to open in Philadelphia, <laughs> which is November 22nd. But he should not have been shocked because I went... We had a course in honors called uh, On the Rocky Films. Bryant Simon taught it. And when he, th he arranged this uh, Rocky tour with a man named Mike Kunda, who is a Rocky impersonator and is a friend of, of Sylvester Stallone's. And I said to Mike, how about if I would write a letter to Sylvester Stallone and ask him maybe if he would come and talk to class, to the, the Rocky class. Uh, and, you know, anything else. And so I said to Mike, if, if I give it to you, now all of you know I'm quite a letter writer, would this work out with you know, getting it to Sylvester Sloan? He said, yeah, yeah, I'll, I can get it to Sly. So in the letter, I asked if he would come to class, and I said we could, really couldn't afford to pay him any money, which obviously is true. This is honors. Please contribute, thank you very much, um, <laughs> to our budget, to our honors uh, development fund. So he said, I can't come, but how about if I give you four tickets for the opening of Creed II in Philly when it premieres? How about that? That's $40. There are four right of there. us, yeah. by the way. More than four tickets. Come on, Sly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know. Those pretty cheap, cheap four tickets, but you know, beggars can't be choosers. True. I think that's a lie. I think that's a lie. There's something. I there feel is, like she would have told us. I didn't know about that. There is something. I think she wrote a note not to Sly, though. I think she wrote a note to Ryan Coogler, the director. So I think it's I think it's that. I think that is the lie, and I think that's the, the, the wrinkle. I, I know number two is true. That's such a small wrinkle, though. That's classic lie. Truth and a lie. I I'm know. I just don't like I'm it. locked in for three. Yeah, I feel like it's three. Too. So the review, then, we got History of the World and Popcorn and Candy. We got... Welcome to Krista, not acknowledged in the credits. The I, feel like, credits. I feel and like you were, yeah, I feel like you were probably just like an extra in that movie. I don't, I don't know that one. I don't know that one. I have any faith in you. you see, extra, I, I feel like it's the first one. And taking Jared to the movies makes a lot of sense. Excusez-moi. Nah, it's, it's got to be the first one, it's right? It's three. All right, so you've got one. Yeah, I'm you on one. You think one is the? Uh, listen, Amanda, I'm going behaviorally here. And I think it's three. I think three is my irresponsibility of sending someone to. Yeah. All right. You're not that irresponsible. Lock in your votes. Damn. I'm locked into one. 
and we're boxed into three. It best not be two. What is it, Ruth? No, I wish it were. I wish it were two, but it is true. Two is true. It was. Uh, it was in Tennessee. We were yeah. in a farm field with cows and sparklers. If you see that movie, Welcome Back, Christo, and it really did win a Sundance Award, and I didn't. Ma- I didn't make any of that up. And I'm not credited. None of us were credited who were in All that right. opening scene. All right. We're, we're very nice. we're very sorry for that. <laughs> yeah, you did you be know sorry you were going to be in the opening scene? Yeah, we did. Well, we knew they were, we were, knew we were being filmed right. for this for this show. Yeah. So, and I did actually go to the premiere of that, but uh, that's a whole separate story. Hmm. Oh, I'm so, I I should have embellished the, the. I actually did have this conversation with Mike Condon. No, that part is absolutely true about trying to get a letter to slide to okay. get him to come and talk to, because that is my way. And I've right. had success with this in the past, but I didn't do it. Dang. Winners. That was a high five. Oh, man. I have to do better on my next set of lies. If anybody out there is uh, a huge Ruthless fan and wants to give us the stats on who's actually <laughs> yeah. winning this yeah. game, that'd be yeah. great. Yeah. That would be awesome. It'd be lovely. Yeah. It's pr- I think it's you. I mean, it's definitely me. I just want to know how much. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, because I feel like Amanda you fear and losing. I go back and forth making mistakes, but you just seem like you're always on it. I'm pretty consistent. I have a I have a good file of Ruth's stories in too, so I can usually knock one of them out. I, but I've been them. trying to not tell stories around here just because I've got to <laughs> yeah, save well, the lives. Unfortunately, lies. that's like in your lifeblood. I know that's I'm also old. That's why we're few. here. Yeah, yeah, actually. yeah. A good point. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. All right, good, good game, good game, good game, good game. By the way, I might try to get those tickets anyway. Okay. <laughs> That'd be fun. Just I think we can yeah. write to like Michael B. Jordan or Ryan Coogler. And, well, and Michael B. Jordan that. especially because yeah. after I realized having seen Black Panther and kept wondering, where's Michael Jordan? I think I know what he looks like. <laughs> and then I realized. <gasps> oh, Ruth. Oh, no, that is, that, that's, that's not that a lie. Awesome. That's classic <laughs> that's Ruth. That's true. <laughs> that is I kept thinking, I know what Michael Jordan amazing. looks like. <laughs> and he was actually, he was the star of the Fahrenheit 451, right? He was, yes. On yeah. HBO. Bringing it full circle. I know. Wow. Thank well you. Done. Th- nicely Put done. Put a button on it. Very nice. <laughs> we should just end the show now. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> well, no we're final ahead. segments. Yeah. Um, you, you delayed the inevitable there for another I know. Minute. I dread it. Um, but you will explain what the kids are saying now. <laughs> <laughs> I had you one of these at lunch yesterday, but I will not share what that one was. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Ruth, oh. I, want you, I want you to explain the oh, concept no. of tea to me. Tea? That's a good one. Tea. What was it yesterday we were explaining to you at lunch? That's, hold on, let I'm me sorry. think of tea. <laughs> it had to do with snacks. It did? Yes, it had to do with a, a service that only delivers. Oh, GoPuff. Great. <laughs> <laughs> what, what? You oh. seem so embarrassed by oh, that. Oh, no. <laughs> our listening audience may know what that is. Ruth but, didn't know what yeah. GoPuff was. I did not know. Yeah, our listening audience yes. definitely knows what yeah, GoPuff well, is. Well, Ruth didn't, so that was yesterday. Right, T. Okay, T. I like T. T. Is it a capital T? No. No. Just a lowercase T? Lowercase T. Is it the word T? Unless it's at the beginning of the sentence. But yeah, yeah. Like Is it spelled T-E-E? No, no. T-E-A. Oh, T-E-A. I see. So this is nothing to do with a Japanese tea ceremony. I'm just guessing. <laughs> Never been to one, so yes. can't be completely sure, but I'm ninety nine percent. We we so, might be able to find a roundabout way. So to when you this. say this, it, you say uh, I'm teed off because that would be a misspelling of the, the word. It would teed. be. So we wouldn't. Say you know, that. I feel about spelling. That's important. Uh, tea. Is it about uh, an attitude about Starbucks and coffee? No. So oh. uh, I think you should. Would you like to use it in a sentence? I'll try and keep it as ambiguous as possible. I mean, Mm -hmm. um, could you give me the tea? 
like reading the tea leaves like i can really tea spilled like spilled milk but the tea stains is this like something awful that you're going to share ruth's free word association (laughs) it deserves its own podcast (laughs) uh could you say that sentence again please could you give me the tea give me the tea would that be like the temple tea You were you were on the right. I think she was. You were basically there. You were there. So give me the the lowdown. Yeah. Yeah. Give me the dark story. You're you're hitting it. Give me the spill. Spill the tea. Spill the tea. Spill the tea. I was close to that with tea leaves because when you read the tea leaves, that's really what's the down and ah. Just saying, yeah. Mm. And that brings me back to the Japanese tea ceremony. <laughs> uh, please, please connect. There she goes. So she nailed it. We can. Okay. <laughs> Which is, of course, uh, an important ritual where you celebrate tea over gossip over problem <laughs> i think that's where you eschew gossip and you just mm. so it's very different than the tea we're talking about yeah. yeah except that does have to do with tea yeah. <laughs> that is a good yes. connection that, that you was made. good you just did it you did it, it. it. i got there in it. Okay. yeah and so before we go i want us to do our recommendations i was curious if we could give a recommendation off of the band book list from each of us what okay. would be the go-to band book or band something. Oh yeah. Anybody? <laughs> you Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, for those of you who don't know, Harry Potter is the story of a young boy. <laughs> <laughs> not just any boy. Uh, not just a any wizard. boy. A wizard. <laughs> well, if you uh, liked Catcher in the Rye, I like Perks being a wallflower. I think it's fun. And there was a movie with Emma Roberts speaking, not Emma Roberts. Emma Emma, Watson. Emma, Emma Watson, Watson speaking uh, of Watson. speaking of bringing it back to Harry Potter. Emma Watson is in the adaptation, movie adaptation. Of it's Perks. a good adaptation, too. It is good. I really like the movie. Since I already recommended several, I listed a bunch of them in the beginning. I'll unrecommend one. All right. And that's William Faulkner's As I Lay Dying. Oh, yeah. Super boring. Or as we called it in high school, As I Die Reading. Yes. <laughs> that is a dirge of a book. Sorry, rip that's William so Faulkner. so nicely put, though, dirge of a book. Although like chapter that. nine was riveting, My Mother is a Fish. <laughs> And it, you, you liked that because it was less than it was a sentence chapter. Yeah, right exactly. Yeah. Like teacher I read, I read chapter nine. Yeah, I got yeah. through that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So no to that. So one. no to at least some of our podcast uh, mm-hmm. uh, producers here. I, I'm torn because there's so many that I really love. I was thinking about how influential Go Tell It on the Mountain by James Baldwin was for me when I read it, probably in seventh or eighth grade. And I just it really knocked my socks off at the time. And uh, that was really good. Ones that I've taught that I spent. And I taught that one, too. Um, I think everybody should have read 1984. Yeah. Uh, no yeah. question about it. To me, that's sort of the the hot ticket book right now that everybody should be reading that right this very minute and thinking about uh, what the issues are in that book. I think it's, uh, it's brilliant, and it is contemporary. And then when you read it, you can also read – this is a pitch for an honors class. Andrew Irvin wrote a book called Burning Down George Orwell's House – and that is a really interesting book. If you've read 1984, you appreciate Andrew Irvin's book, Burning Down George Orwell's House. Those of you in our audience who don't know, George Orwell wrote 1984. <laughs> Be aware. Oh, that is an important Solid point. connection. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah, uh, I've been looking at the list upside down, so I'm not familiar with all of them, but I just would just hop on board with you and say that Orwell in general is my recommendation because I feel like a lot of people will read 1984, Animal Farm, and we'll just kind of stop there. But, you know, he's a really good writer beyond those two books, yeah. um, especially his short stories. I actually think that he excels more as a short story writer than he knows. Oh, that is an English major speaking, if I ever heard. <laughs> I just want to mention something about Animal Farm because I, I think that also about who really 
is more important than others and how you get status and you know uh, who's important and who's not. I think that book really lays it out in a brilliant and upsetting way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that is also, t- I think Orwell's just t- timely. Yeah. As Orwell would say, some podcast hosts are more equal than others. That's so wow. brilliant. Such I'm proud to know an English and, major. And, and with that. And with that, the pigs are walking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening to us. Uh, we'll be back again soon. Uh, look forward to us. We're going to be putting out an announcement for our first live show of the semester. Do any of you have any announcements you'd like to throw up before we leave? Listen to honorable mentions on this very podcast feed. Yeah, yeah yes. the second best yes. honors podcast. It'll soon be third best once <laughs> Brad gets his up. It's going to be called Of Course with Brad, and it's going to be interviewing faculty who are teaching spring courses. So tune in for that. That will be very exciting. Really and uh, to Dr. Levi, I'm sorry that I'm going to be a little late to class today. <laughs> this recording session didn't end until 11.55 for our, my 12 o'clock class. Uh-oh, so all right. I'll be seeing you then, Dr. Levi. End. Stay ruthless. You've been really like given the vibrato in your your weekly. Somebody said to me yesterday, I love reading the bulletin. It's so funny. Who writes it? I think people tell me this all the time. So that's clear to you. People are always telling yesterday. you they love I put it. My and name on it. You did. Yeah. And they always want to know who writes it. Yeah, people like it. I know. Oh, I know. it's a ghost. Yeah. It's the ghost of it's honors past. Whispers. Are we recording?